Hello everyone and welcome to our Threshold podcast. We are so happy that you have taken time to join us today and we pray that you will be absolutely encouraged by the plethora of messages and encouraging words that we share here in our church. Threshold is a family of believers based in East Riding of Yorkshire in the wonderful city of Hull and our head pastors are Pastor Deborah and Philip Banda. Be blessed. So the whole series that we're starting today, we're going to call it Family Matters. Two dimensions we're going to cover when we talk about family matters. Number one, I want you in your mind to have your family. If you're married, that makes it slightly bigger. So it means your family, your family in terms of your nuclear family, you and your husband, if you've got children and your children. Uh, And then your extended family as well is included in this. So your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, uh, it never stops. Amen. If you're not married, it, it's your, your siblings, your parents, and your cousins, and all that kind of stuff. So, it attaches to everyone. And if you're not married one day, you're planning to get married, you're still going to start a family one day. It's awesome when married people come to you and they say, Pastor, we want to start a family. You already started one the day you got married. I know they mean they're going to have children now. But the truth is, you started a family the day you got married. Amen? So, this is going to be helpful. So, we're going to cover that dimension of family. And we're going to cover the other dimension of family, which has to do with church as a family. Are you with me? So, you're going to think of this church as your family. How many know this is family too? This is family that will last forever. I'm your brother, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. You should say, we like it. (laughs) Amen. So that's what we're going to do when we start covering family matters. Amen. Amen. Let me lay the, the groundwork here. Why is this going to be so important? Why am I even talking about this? I want to paint a good picture by using a parable that Jesus used in Matthew 13. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to give it so that we paint a picture. Every time I talk about family, that's the picture you should have. In Matthew 13, the Lord Jesus gave a parable. And the parable was this. That there was a man that went out to sow seed. The parable of the sower. And the summary is this. Some seed fell on good ground. Some seed fell on bad ground. Okay, thorny. And the other ground was a beaten path, so it was a hard ground. The other one was a rocky ground. So let's just group them together. Bad ground, good ground. Only the seed that fell on good ground produced fruit in the end. The Bible says some 100 fold, some 65 and all that. Yeah? Only the seed that fell on good ground Produced good fruit. Are you with me? From that parable, I'm borrowing this picture. One, as much as seed is important, the ground is very important. You get it? Good seed does not grow in bad grounds. It doesn't matter how good the seed is, it still does not grow when the ground is what? It's bad. 
Family, in your mind, I want you to imagine it like this. Family is the ground on which God sows seeds. His God seeds, his good seeds. And if family as a ground is not good enough, the seeds do not amount to much. If the family is not good enough, we chalk up a law of destiny. What do I mean by that? God may have some great intentions about you. But if the family situation is not sorted properly, it becomes bad ground and it chalks up the seed. So family is the ground. The seed is the will of God, is the purposes of God. It is the plans of God. When God wants to do stuff, he likes to start through a family. So when he said he wants to create man on the face of the earth, he created Adam. And he soon realized it was not good enough. So he created a family. He put Eve and Adam together and he started something on earth. Are you with me? When he was about to send Jesus, he found Mary. And when Joseph was about to walk away, God was like, no, 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 no. This is for family. So the angel came to Joseph as well and said to Joseph, Joseph, don't fear what's happening. It is of God. In other words, God still wants you to marry Mary. Yeah? Oh, that sounds like a song, like Mary Mary. <laughs> and if you are Mary in here, that's a prophecy for you. <laughs> so God still brought the family. Even Jesus had to come through a family. When God wanted to bless the, all the earth, he took Abraham. And when Abraham couldn't have a child with his wife called Sarah, and he decided to do it the other way, God says, nah, I will bless you and your wife, Sarah. I respect your family. And whatever I'm promising to do is going to come through your family. There is nothing God has ever done on earth that did not come through family. Everything he does comes through family. Huh? When Jeremiah didn't know what was going on with his life, God says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. That is an awesome spiritual way of putting it. But you know the crude way of putting it, right? Before your parents came together, I knew you. Family. Amen? So why are we talking about family? Family is the ground through which God wants to do amazing things on earth. Your family is a ground through which God wants to do amazing things on earth. Amen. Uh, some of you still don't believe me. Let me look this side. Your family <laughs> is still the ground which God wants to use to do great things on earth. Amen. To your family is the ground he planted you in so that you can become everything he wants you to become. So your family is not just a ground through which he will do amazing things. It is a place he planted you, like this sower planted the seed, so you may thrive. Just in case somebody wants to change families. Say, why wasn't I born in Buckingham Palace? <laughs> because God saw that you are going to thrive in the family that he placed you in. He's very confident. Amen? But therefore, it is important for us to learn how to create that good family atmosphere. Amen. 
or good family culture. So you will find that within these few weeks, I'll be talking about family cultures, creating good family culture. Let me give you an example. Today I was reminded, I was thinking, what example can I share with them about this? Then I was reminded, how many have heard of a, a fungus tea? Tea. Tea that you drink. T-E. But the fungus one. How many? Wow. You, you, most of you haven't heard of a fungus tea? It's, it's supposed to be healthy for you. It, 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 for some people, it's really supposed to be really healthy and, and it's got so many benefits. You can go to Holland and Barrett and, 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 and buy some fungus tea. Uh, it's got another name that I have for, I've forgotten what the name is. But the Americans are so much into it. You know the Americans. But when I was young, in our neighborhood, uh, in our neighborhood, I lived in a neighborhood that uh, it was very fashionable to have many children. That is my deduction at the moment, because my, my parents had eight, our next door neighbor had 12, our opposite neighbor had six, another one had eight, and the other one had about 14. This is no exaggeration. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I lived in a neighborhood where there was many children. We, we were not short of friends. And so when a trend comes, and we were similar ages, and when the trend comes into the place, it would just spread so quickly. The whole street would be taken over. And I remember in those days, we had a lot of Chinese people come to this little town of Mufalira in Zambia where we lived. We had a lot of Chinese people come. And when they came, they brought with them the, the, the fungus tea trend. And so all of us started to learn to do this. All we could do is take a little piece of fungus, this fungus that they had. Um, some people call it, they've got a name for it. It's Kobi or something like that. And, 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 and you take it. And you put it in a vessel. Okay, you got a big vessel. Now, the bigger the vessel, the bigger the thing will grow. Okay, so you take the vessel. And all you would need for it to grow, all you would need to feed it, is some sugary fluid. So you would make tea because you want to drink tea off it. And it was like, had so many benefits. It's actually used quite widely in Chinese medicine. Okay, it's got, uh, pharmacist, you can check this out. <laughs> you know, it's used in, 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 in Chinese medicine for high blood pressure and all that kind of things. Okay? Uh, and so what we would do is take a little piece, you know, so we would share, you know. You remember how many children I told you in that neighborhood? And we would, hey, have you got some? And you get some. And, and then you put it in your vessel and you would make some tea, some black tea. You make some black tea, put as much sugar as you want to put in, uh, and, and then you would feed the fungus that tea. And weeks, it was growing big. And then it was also making this tea for you. So it was really like, it was, so when you drank it, you drank a tea that had a very different flavor. But if you put it, and you forget to put sugar, the scientists in here will tell you, it didn't grow, cause the conditions for the thing were not conducive 
for its growth. Without knowing, we are actually practicing some scientific uh, thing. Okay? If I had a microbiologist, they would tell me you were attempting to do something to do with cultures. You know, in science, in, in microbiology or biomedical people, they do cultures. You take your blood in, and they, they draw it, and, and they, do a, a, they do a culture, and, and, they, yeah, and all that stuff. I don't know what they mean. I just know they use a petri dish sometimes. <laughs> but did you get the picture? That is family. Your family is your petri dish. The culture that you create in your family is important for how much you grow and expand in the will of God. The cultures are important. We miss some sugar, the thing doesn't grow. Hello? So getting the cultures right in our family is like getting that temperature right, getting that water level right, getting that sugar level right. Getting every, so that what God wants to do may actually happen. Now, if I pause there, may I say, you see why sometimes people can say, this God thing doesn't work. It's because they didn't take time to create a culture in which God's goodness and mercy can thrive for their lives. Are you with me? You're learning something there? Culture is important because it's the medium through which life is experienced and enjoyed. The culture you create in your home determines whether you're gonna, you know, how you're gonna enjoy your life. Not whether, but how. Right? Culture is created by the values you follow in your home. The things that you value in your house create culture. So if you look around your house and you don't like something, you don't like the way you're treating one another, you have created a certain culture. Some values are not well aligned. Hello? It takes a humble person to really humble themselves and say, not great. The values that we've created in this house are not that great. Values lead to culture. So if I come to your house, I see what you value, I can predict the culture of your house. You get it? If I come to your family, I see the things you value now, I can predict the culture in which you're going to bring up your children, for those of us that have children. So what am I trying to say? I'm going to spend some time to talk about what do you value? And I'll talk about key things that perhaps we should add to our values in our homes so that we can help the culture of our homes to be conducive to the will of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. (laughs) To create a healthy family culture of abandoned life, we need to revisit the values that espouse our home. We need to revisit the values. If you decide, we're going to, in this house, we will create a culture where God is honored, where, where people thrive in the will of God, where, where, where people come to everything God has promised over us, then we need to constantly visit our values. Not once, but constantly look at what we value in our home. Amen? 
There is a quote I want to use that I, I don't know who said it, but I heard it from one of the leaders somewhere. And, and, it's, and it's true. It says, when, when strategy meets culture, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Can I explain what that means? When strategy or planning meets culture, culture eats strategy for breakfast. What that simply means is culture is very powerful. Hello? It doesn't matter how good the intentions God has over your home. If your culture is bad, it will eat up every plan. It doesn't matter how big the prophecies are over your life and your household. If the culture in the home is bad, it will destroy those prophecies. They will never happen. So when strategy meets culture, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So culture is more important. No matter how many plans you're making, you might be making great plans for your family. Want to do this, want to do this. You know, I've got specific examples sometimes that has happened in my family with my siblings. And, 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 and we are all older people now. And people are in their 50s and pushing towards 60. I'm the youngest actually right now. I won't tell you my age. <laughs> Only because it's not secret, you know it. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Natalie. 29. So, <laughs> so, so. But, you know, and there are sometimes we've made brilliant plans. Like we can be on the phone and we make such a brilliant plan. Like, oh my God, if we do this, oh, this is awesome. And then you start and it fails. And you realize the culture of the group is going to keep chewing plans and spitting them out. It's going to keep destroying every good plan. So we, before we blame the devil, we need to look at the culture in the home. Amen. What cultures are we building our homes with? Now, I want to propose this. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 15. Some biblical cultures. Today I want to deal with one, only one, which I think is major. It's a culture that if we, if, we, if we put it in our home, will destroy a lot of things that the enemy has wanted to do. As I'm doing this, I'm really reminded of a story. When we were praying this morning on the phone with some of the leaders, I started talking about this. I'm reminded of this story of when Moses actually encountered bitter waters with the children of Israel at a place called Marah. And the Bible says he cried to God, and God gave him an instruction. He showed him a piece of wood that he was supposed to pick. So he picked a piece of wood, and he threw it in the water, and the water was healed. Yeah? As I release this culture into your family today, if there is any strife, use what I'm going to share with you, like Moses used the stick. Throw it in there, and you'll see bitterness begin to dissolve. Mm-hmm. Where there is strife, disagreements, and, and anger, and all that, the answer is not sit down and discuss. There is an end to discussion. Before you discuss, cure those bitter waters. Amen. So as, if you begin to use 
I, I strongly believe. You know, I'm learning the things I'm sharing with you, so I'm applying them to me as well. But I strongly believe, as I sit in this culture, I've been trying to teach my children this for the past few weeks, as I sit in this culture, I see God dissolving a lot of issues that were daring actually to express themselves. Issues that are from the enemy. Amen? So Ephesians 3, if you're there, I'm going to read 14 and, and 15 in the Revised Standard Version. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So now I've just caught Paul in the middle there. He is he's talking about something else. But then he releases this nugget that there is this thing as God's family on earth. And there is also this thing in there that every family is defined and, uh, and, uh, and centered around God. Did you get it? Now, if you look at human families, there's these few facts. Every family is defined and centered around a father somehow. That's why most of you carry your father's name. Yeah? I know sometimes it's not the case, but 90% of the time you carry your father's name. So every family somehow is centered around the father. Somehow. Yeah? Here's another fact. In human terms, the absence of a father or of a good father creates uh, some mental health issues to attainment issues in terms of education. I'm just telling you just human facts. The absence of a father. Now, listen to this. The absence of a father does not just talk about because your father was not there. He might even have been there physically, but there was no good fathering happening. Yeah? Although am I touching on very tough stuff? I should. Because you are raising powerful families. Yeah? So the absence of a father has... has uh, there's, there's a lot of sociolog- sociological like, research out there that shows that the absence of a father actually creates problems. I'll give you two examples. In adolescence, they say the absence of a father creates externalization behaviors. These are behaviors that have to do with people that just assign blame all the time. Okay? When a kid is not doing well in class, he begins to bully others. Oh, he begins, he breaks the cop. He doesn't deal with issues himself. That is a problem that is correlated to the absence of a father. You get it? So, how can I use that? I can use that very well. I can look at my own children and I can see some of their behaviors. And if they are externalizing too much, it's me as a father that has to realize, okay, there is something I'm not doing right. Another thing, risky behaviors. The absence of a father has been shown to, to, give, to, to, to give rise to a lot of risky behaviors. What are risky behaviors like? Like premarital sex, like teen sex, and like, like drugs, like uh, alcohol, like all that. Hello? There is so much data about that, you can't even argue with it. That the absence of a father can create those issues. Now there's a difference, and this was, I, I was particularly interested in this. There's a difference between father absenteeism that is due to a divorce or a father just going away to or compared to a father dying when you're young. I was interested because my dad died when I was young. So I was particularly interested in, is there a difference? And I found there is a difference. The other one, apparently people adjust their lives accordingly. 
They still suffer some things, but they adjust their life a bit better than when there is a divorce or a father has just left. You get it? When your father dies on you when you're young, there's a difference. It doesn't create as much problems. And, and they give the reason as because I think psychologically you are able to adjust yourself. It's a new reality. Rather than you're dealing with something of a father left you, it sounds like rejection. I thought I should throw that in. Because it helped me. <laughs> Every family finds its identity in creating a culture where the honor of a father somehow becomes central. Yeah? Have you ever done something, and, and this happens to me a bit sometimes, I, I do something and I'm really proud of it, and, and people might say, oh, Pastor Phil, well done, and I'll be like, oh, I wish my father was around to see this. We kind of all have that kind of, you know, every family is centered around the honor of a father somehow. Now, that's all I will say about the human thing. But spiritually speaking, according to Paul, it sounds like it's true. When God is not honored as a father properly in a family, it creates problem behaviors. You see now? When I don't teach my family how to honor God properly, it creates problem behaviors in the family. It means there might be even the whole issue. Uh, uh, do you understand where the blame culture comes from? It really comes from people that don't honor God. Most of the blame culture happens because people don't honor God. And so they look for someone to blame for their problems. They are externalizing. Even at a spiritual level, people externalize a lot. Because they haven't received the love of the Father. It's going to get very good as we go along this topic. There's also a lot of habitual sin in the absence of appreciation of God as a Father. It becomes, there's a lot of habitual sin that creeps in. So it is the same spiritually. Actually, it is worse spiritually compared to what happens physically. So guess what's the first value I want us to talk about today? And I'll be finishing soon. The first value is to value the Father in heaven. To gather our families around the Father. Gather around the Father. It is simple enough. I've been trying, I've been, I'm still teaching Zoe to understand that. That her and me can gather around the Father. I want her to see beyond me as dad and father. Just to understand that her and me can still gather ourselves around the Father. That's the first value. Why? Because this will bring a culture of honor in our homes. Whether there are fights, they will cease when people gather around the Father. Because they begin to understand they are all loved. Hello? How am I arriving at this? Well, what do you learn from families in the Bible? It's quite interesting. 
Families of the people that God has used in the Bible are quite very interesting families. Adam and Eve, their sons, hated each other to killing each other. Right? Well, one killed the other. Not perfect. Abraham and his wife Sarah, well, you know what happened. They were not perfect biologically, they couldn't even have a child. And then when they improvised, they went outside of God's will. But God came through for them. He still came through. But they were not perfect. Abraham is far from being perfect. There's no difference between Adam saying to God, it is this woman you gave me that has caused me to sin. And Adam saying, it is not my idea to have Ishmael. It was this woman's idea. Abraham, there's no difference. Hello? Let's talk about their children. <gasps> Isaac went, lied about his wife. He says, she's my sister. And then he had children that were twins that hated each other. Almost killed each other again. So they were not perfect families. There's something I'm trying to drive home here. It's why did God really use them and love them? They were not perfect. You know, if we, if we, if we begin to follow their families, you'd go like, hey, this is worse than Coronation Street. <laughs> I, I mean, Jacob went and married two women. They were sisters. And then he makes a mistake and loves the other one more than the other. Can't you get anything right? And then the one he loved, she was a liar. She stole her father's gods, lied, and died lying. They were not perfect. Can you see this? But there's something that God said about Abraham that gives you an idea of what God really values more than your perfection. God said, I have chosen Abraham because he will teach his children my ways. Not because he's perfect. Because he will gather his children around me. It is big to God that he is the biggest value in your life and in your home. I want to give you a goal. When you have children, or those of you that have children, you should have this goal that one day when you ask your children, what is our biggest value in this house? They should say to you, God the Father. Not just God. It's not enough. The Father. He has to be Father. Because if He is Father... I ask my children this simple question. What does it mean when we say he is father? And they begin to say, it means he protects us. It means he provides for us. It, it, you understand? When he is father, it's very different from when he's just God. God, when he's just God in your head, sounds like this man is ready to punish me for everything wrong that I do. That's what it sounds like. It's like he's going to just punish you. He's like, oh, I'm waiting for you to make a mistake. How does that he has to be father because when he's father, then you understand father, father, father has to do with the real meaning is the source, the original source, the beginning of things, the one that provides, the one that covers, the one. Hello? 
So if one day in your family your children are saying the biggest thing we value in this house is father, then you've done a good job because they will go next and start their own homes and they will also value the father. And your family will be not a family of the lost, but a family of those that have been found. Because the prodigal son was only lost when he left the father. Not God, the father. So when your family understands predominantly that God is our father, we have a father in heaven. It is a family of the found. Hello? And no matter how hard stuff comes hard against you, you know, and there's stuff that happens in life, like really tough stuff. But if you have a father, you will sing, well, you know, who was, who was, it was Joy, Zoe's favorite song when she was a bit younger. I think she was two or three. I have a father. He calls me his arms. It was Zoe's. Oh, was it Zengi's? It was Zoe's. He'll never leave you. She used to sing, he know my name. <laughs> he know my every thought. God chose these families because they had a culture that gathered around him. As simple as that sounds, try it. It's awesome. Turn your family around and let them face the father. Have a culture that faces the father. How about Jesus. What do we learn from him? Jesus, at the age of 12, in Luke chapter 2, he said, Don't you know that I have to be in my father's house? Jesus was a challenging child for Mary and Joseph to have. But, but then they knew. Because not every child they had was preceded by an angel coming to announce. So they knew this is going to be something different here. Let's gird our loins. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it sounds great though, yeah? <laughs> Let's gird our loins. You know, I, let, 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 let's get ready. Yeah? Let's, let's, let's tighten our seatbelt. This is going to be a ride. And so when Jesus shows up, here's why I think it was a massive ride for them. A crazy ride for them. He became a son that changed the culture of their house. Because his culture was father. Father in heaven. So when he was lost at the age of 12, they're thinking he's lost. And he's not lost. Do you, do you, do you see how that is synonymous with the prodigal son? You are lost because you've left the father. When Jesus was no longer in Joseph's care and Joseph was thinking, ah, he's lost. Jesus in his head, I'm not lost because I'm in my father's house. So at 12, he challenged them. He says, don't you know I have to be in my father's house? He's changing the culture of the home. You know, when a child gets saved first in a home, it's tough. My oldest sister got saved first before my parents. My parents were in church, but really it was really a religious practice. Not that they were bad people anyway, in any way. They were, they, were, they were great Christians according to the church. But they had not encountered Christ. Until my sister got saved, my oldest sister, she got saved. And she brought the revelation of Christ to our house. 
and how she struggled through that. And I, and I could see how my mother and my father, who were both elders in this church, were saying, no, 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 you get us excommunicated. You know, we preach, we teach, we don't believe the things you do. And then she started speaking in tongues. That was worse. And one time she brought her friends home, and my dad and my mom were not home, and they sat in this, in this, in this little veranda we had. And you know, born again of the 80s, they started praying in tongues. And me and my friends are outside, we're gathered, it's a spectacle. We're looking and we're going, look at what she's doing. Look at what she's doing. And my father came home and we told the story. She did this and she was and it was an issue of discipline and all until the light came in our house and my parents themselves began to see Christ in a different way. My father's preaching changed. His Bible studies with us changed. My mother changed. Everybody just said, wow. And we were all now beginning to see the difference it made in their lives. But it's always hard when it's a child that comes to change the culture. Jesus came to change the culture in their home. How else do I know? In his 30s, this is what he said. When they said to him, Jesus, Jesus, your mother, your brothers are outside. They are waiting for you. Do you know what he said? He says, my mother and my father and my brothers are these ones here who are hearing me right now. Those who do my father's will. (laughs) Ouch. Jesus teaches us that in a family, the most important thing is the father. Father. Father, get everyone looking at the father. If they're not looking at the father, he was going to use every harsh word there was until they started looking at the father. Until Mary, on the day Jesus was dying, was there. Watching him die. Crying. Understanding. It is all about the father. This one was not meant for me to keep. He came to change me and change the world. She understood it. Hello? That's why she was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. She was there. Mary was there. Can you imagine Mary got filled in the Holy Spirit? The mother of Jesus. She got filled in the Holy Spirit. Because she believed it was about the Father now. When her son said, hey, do not leave Jerusalem. You wait for the promise of the Father. And so she was in that room. And she waited with the young men. And she was still there as well. Because it had become about the Father. She understood what her son came to do. Jesus wants us to have the Father as the number one value in our home. What does that look like as we finish? It looks like this. When the disciples came to him, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, that's where I am. And we're going to finish there. When the disciples came to Jesus, they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. I have a theory. I think they had seen Jesus do amazing miracles too much and, and they were amazed by his life. I, wouldn't you be amazed following this man who one day he feeds 5,000 with two loaves and five fishes? And, or is it five loaves and two fishes? The next day he walks on water. The next day, it's like, you will be amazed when he teaches you like, I've never heard these things. When he explains the same Isaiah you've been reading since you were growing up, you're like, what? I've never understood this. Truly, he's the son of God. So they said, okay, now teach us to pray. Because if you find a man that is quite important and he's achieved quite a lot in life, you are going to ask all your questions. How did we get here? How do I get there? Can you help me? How do you study? What kind of books do you read? 
What did you read in university? Huh? What are your habits like? Do you watch TV? You will ask all sorts of questions because you just met an important man and you look at him and you think he's going to answer all my questions. I, I need to stop struggling. That's what they were looking at Jesus at. They went and teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Surely, surely, surely this is what's working for you. Teach us also to pray. And Jesus did not hesitate. You know, there's so many questions Jesus was asked. And he said, uh, and, and he would come up with a parable. Or he might say, it is not, not, it's not for you to know. Or he might, you know, start explaining. This one, he just went direct. He didn't beat about the bush. Uh, when they said, teach us to pray, immediately he goes, when you pray, pray like this. Hello? It's interesting that he was so willing to teach about prayer. Now, I heard Bill Johnson say this, and I love it. He said, uh, most, I don't know, he said, he doesn't know why we call this the Lord's Prayer. Because it's definitely not his. It's our prayer. <laughs> it's the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus did not need to say, forgive us our sins. Okay? He didn't need to say that. He's, he was sinless. So it's our prayer. It's a disciples' prayer. But in my house, I'm turning it into our family prayer. So I'm slowly teaching these guys, slowly by slowly, how to go through it and understand everything. This, Jesus begins to use family language when he's asked to teach about prayer. This is how you're going to gather your family around the Father. Did you get it? He didn't begin, when you pray, pray like this. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's how he put it. Hey. Hey. <laughs> huh? I've got this habit, and I've just noticed that all my children pray like that. And that's how they just get it. They copy it off you without you knowing. I've got this habit when I pray. I say, Father, in the name of Jesus. I don't know whether you've noticed. I don't know when it started. Now I notice when I ask, oh, Zoe, could you pray? Father, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's a good one. Start at Father. He uses family language in the prayer. Ah, oh, you want to learn how to pray? Here's how you gather. You, for you to pray, you have to gather around the Father. So say, Our Father, who art in heaven. That's just some nice English. What it means is, Our Father, who is in heaven, we honor your name. Actually, the literal meaning is this. We center our lives around honoring your name. We pivot on your name. That's what it means, literally. It's like you're saying this family shall always pivot on honoring God. We shall never leave the honoring of our Father. That's the prayer. Our Father, we pivot. You, know, you can read uh, the, past, the Passion Translation. It puts it this way. Our Father who dwells in the heavenly realms... May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. You gotta gather your family and begin to say this. In this family, we will pray like our Father. And we will ask our Father to be the center on which our lives are surrounded. Mm -hmm. 
It is about honoring the Father. Let me finish. Honoring the Father's name. Honoring His reign and His authority. May your kingdom come. It's about honoring Him, His reign and His authority. You want Him to reign over your household. And most of the time people say, your kingdom come. They don't know what it means. You, might, you don't need even to say your kingdom come. You, you might want to put it in language that you can use in your house. Can I suggest that? You might want to say, God, we really just want to honor your rulership over this house and over our family. Because when the king rules, the kingdom comes. We honor his purposes and plans. That's what it means. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You might want to say, God, we want to honor your plans first in this house above everything else. As you have planned them in heaven, that's what we want it to be. In the Passion Translation, it says this. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. Did you see it? It is about that. It is about acknowledging him as the source as the pro- and provider. Give us each day our daily bread. What we are saying is you are the father. We want you to be our source. It's very important that there is an acknowledgement of God as the provider in your home. Yeah? It's very important. As a parent of young children, I know some of you have gone through it already, but for me as a parent of young children, it's a challenge for me not to always answer my kids as, I can't afford that. We, we can't do that. Sorry, we, we don't have the money for that. To, to kind of also teach them this angle of, okay, can we seek the Father for this? I was telling, we were having a chat with Zoe a few weeks ago, and she was saying, and, and, and she needs this new bike, and I, and I almost said to her, Zoe, I can't afford it right now, and I, I cut myself and said, no, let me have a chat with her. So I had a chat with her, you know, can we pray to our Father who supplies this house? And her and me prayed. Are you with me? I want to teach the culture that says we are supplied by God. <laughs> Let's finish. It's, 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 it's getting great. It's getting great. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He's the father of all grace. But he's also acknowledging that he is perfect and you are not. Whoever thinks they have not sinned, they are telling a lie. <laughs> the truth of God is not in them. That's what the Bible says. So when you acknowledge, forgive us our sins, you're really saying, God, you are holy, you are perfect. I, I wouldn't have a right to call you Father unless you forgive me. Hello? I finish. He's lead us not into temptation. What you say? Deliver us from evil. What are you saying? You see, you see you, instead of go walking out there and worried about everything that the devil is doing and, and hearing from people, oh, the devil. Have you seen on Facebook, the devil? Listen, there's an awesome prayer here that can preempt anything. It says, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. So if I can gather my children and say to them, come on, let's pray. God, do not Leaders in temptation. Deliver us from every influence of Satan. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from every influence of a demon, of Satan, from any oppression. That's, it's in there. 
It's in that prayer. You're praying to the Father. Father, just like, do not let a demon, eh? Bring any strange suggestions and we fall for it. Father, we, we are praying, do not let any demon around cause any negative influence in my family today. Do not let the spirit of strife take over. That's what you're saying. So if you gather people around the Father, you see what's happening. God is doing the Father role of protecting you and leading your household. Amen? And the prayer obviously finishes with proclaiming His rule. For yours is the kingdom. Okay, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It's like, Father, we just like love you to rule over us. We trust in your kingdom. In your rulership, in your power. You, your power is like your supreme power. You have ultimate authority here on earth. So that's the picture I see if we're going to build that value around our families. The picture I see is you gathering your family and teaching them to face the Father and to invite the Father. That's the picture I see. I put there, I see a picture in mind. A spiritual picture of you daily bringing your children together, saying the Lord's Prayer in a language they can understand well. A picture where we all teach our families to expect more from the Father in heaven than from us. So whether it's your brothers, your grown-up brothers, or your young nieces, and your, paint a picture where they can expect more from the Father than from you. Where you can say, Our Father... We have a father. And bring the culture of honoring God the father. It will answer a lot of identity problems. It will answer a lot of habitual sins and all that stuff. And maybe more importantly than that, in families, it will produce a culture of honor and strife will disappear. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise God.